Father in heaven, we want to thank you today for Jesus. Thank you for the power of the appeal. Many of us are here because we heard a gospel appeal, a presentation. There was a preacher somewhere. We heard them on a Sabbath morning. Maybe it was uh, during an evangelistic crusade like it was for me. And we made a decision. We came forward. We raised our hand. We stood. Maybe it was as recently as last night as Elder Finley, again, gave an excellent appeal. And Father, we want to serve you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We pray that your blessing would be in this class today. And we pray in Jesus' saving name. Amen. Okay, so uh, who preached powerful biblical appeals? And we're going to find out there is a theology about appeals within the Bible. Uh, you might wonder, well, who, who was that? There, there are many that did. Uh, we've had an excellent uh, appeal seminar here at camp meeting, and it was been taught night by night by Elder Finley and on Sabbath morning. Can you say amen? amen. Uh, he is, I believe, personally, this is just my opinion. I told you not to say that, right? You don't say that in a sermon. Uh, but I believe that it's okay to say I believe, by the way. While you're preaching, if you want to make a point in a good and positive way, when you say I believe, that's good. But if you say in my opinion, that, that doesn't carry any water, okay? And don't say okay after your sentences either. I won't say the next word. So he's been giving an excellent appeal seminar because he's been doing this night by night. How many of you have heard Elder Finley? Most everybody. It's worthwhile being there again tonight because you'll hear, believe me, it's his fifth night, our fifth out of five presentations, and you won't want to miss it. If you can't be there, listen in on the radio. Get the uh, uh, tape. It's not a tape anymore. I believe you can download all these digitally, if I, if I understand correctly, from camp meeting this year. So that's really neat. It's at the ABC. This class I hear is at the ABC. Every appeal is sowing seed. Elder Finley talked with us this morning. He said, I'm going to give you a million-dollar uh, tip. He said, all you have to do is find one million-dollar bill crossing the street in front of you. If there was such a thing, you could pick it up and you'd be an instant millionaire. And he said, for some of you here, this would be worth more than a million dollars. He said, you, you, you need to sow seed to be successful evangelists. Secondly, he said, only God can grow the seed. And he gives you results in proportion to how much seed you have sown. He can't bless something that you haven't sown. Doesn't that make sense? Amen. So sow the seed as far and wide, as many different ways as you possibly can, and then pray earnestly and let God grow the seed. And and God will bless what you sow. And he blesses churches that are active. And he has, this is mine now, but he has his angels and his Holy Spirit 
and he blesses people that work for him. Sometimes you'll sow a lot of seed, but there's other seed that God is aware of, and he will bring people who didn't receive the handbill. He'll bring people who've been thinking about this for years. I talked with a young man. I told you the story yesterday. Going to the early morning meeting together, the Lord was working on his heart for a long, long time. There is, uh, there's a seat right here for the A student. Come right over here, Olga. I was looking for it. I thought, Olga is, has the guaranteed A here. I know about her. And see, so you, you can sit right there. Thank you. So sow the seed. Let God grow the seed. God blesses in proportion to the amount of seed you sow. And that will guarantee you a lot of interest in various stages of growth. So, so three points. Isn't it easy? And there will be people in various stages of growth all the time. And if you do enough sowing and praying and trusting in God, and you keep having an evangelism calendar, you will win many souls. I'll tell you something else, a secret. I love to pick up secrets from people. You know what the Finleys do at their church, Living Hope Church in Virginia? Every Monday, they have a health class for their community. And that's a tall order, I know. But every, if you invest big and dream big, you're going to reap big. So every Monday, and I know it's a preaching class, so I'm preaching, okay? This is my appeal to you today. Every Monday, they have a health class. Every Tuesday, they have a Bible study class for the community. They advertise it. Every Wednesday, they have prayer meeting. Every Thursday, if they have any business of the church, well, not every Thursday, but they reserve Thursday for board meetings or business meetings, something like that. And on Sabbath morning, they come early and they pray. Now, Joe, you might know about that. You've been there at Living Hope. Okay. But I, I believe it's Sabbath morning. They pray early that the Holy Spirit will be there that, that Sabbath. Isn't that great? And, and they have a burden for, for their community. Yes. He said the other, the other day, I can't remember which one, but he said he wanted to go to a small church, 30 members. Right. It's now 300. Yeah, it's, it's grown exponentially. But really, when you think about it, those are the secrets. And that's what they're doing. And I know evangelism works because... We've always had evangelism as a pastor, and I've never been in a place where we didn't baptize souls from evangelism. And I've had about 125 meetings myself. So uh, some things to think of. Uh, continue going to the meetings, and if you really want a good seminar tonight, go to Elder Finley's meeting. Every appeal is sowing seed. Every appeal. And the Lord grows the seed every time an appeal is responded to. So appeals need to be made. And another burden, I said the last couple days, I guess I'll just keep saying it again. Because I hope someone here will take an interest in this. And I'm hoping someone who is listening, where's that recording device? I know it's around here somewhere. Everyone who is listening, where is it? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone who is listening, listen to this. There's 184 churches in Michigan, right? Well, you maybe didn't know that, but there's 184 churches. I'm, I'm the one that's nervous. 
Pray for me. Amen. 184 churches. How many weeks in a year? You better help me out. Okay, 52. And that is 9,568. What does that mean? I believe that every church every week should have some kind of an appeal. You don't want the same appeal every week on the same subject matter. You don't want to use the same, will you raise your hand every week? Or will you stand every week? Or will you come forward as an altar call every week? There's seven different kinds of appeals. But if every week, whether it's the pastor or you, if you would have an appeal in your church every week and only one person in each Michigan church on average every week was to make a decision for Jesus or a decision for the truth of some kind of what we believe or a decision to be baptized or to be part of the remnant church, wouldn't that be wonderful? So I'm going to say it again. I'm just impressed to say that. Uh, I believe we ought to be making appeals. Do you realize that's one of the secrets of a growing church? Is not only preaching, but making appeals. You really haven't preached well unless you do make an appeal. And I believe that. Was, uh, you can say, you can ask questions, but I would rather we hold them till later. How does that make you feel? Okay. <laughs> In, if one half, and this is not in your notes, so I'll, I'll signify that, you can write it down. If one half the sermonizing were done and double the amount of personal labor given in their homes and in congregations, a result would be seen that would be surprising. That from the book Evangelism. You know, I've read this so many times, and in preparation for this class, I read it like I'd never read it before. That is personal labor given in their homes and in congregations. It's like I'd never read those three words before. And in congregations. Some people you can't get in their home. I have that in my room here, evangelism book. Yeah, and we have it here. Yes. So there it is. Amen. Some people, they're not going to respond from the sermon itself. But if you know they're there and you know they're a visitor, you go to the home. Sermonizing, preaching only, is not the secret. Although people come for good preaching more than for any other single reason to church. And you're probably among them. Page 433, for years I've been shown that house-to-house labor is the work, the work that will make the preaching of the word a success. If in my preaching I can get into a, a, a visitor's home five times, the, the chances that they'll make a positive decision, like the, the man from Holland I was talking about yesterday, just one of many examples I could use, we were in his home every week, every week. He was listening, but our visiting was subsidizing what I was preaching, and he's baptized today. And it happens over and over again. If you can't get in the home, the chances of a baptism of a positive decision go down. Hi, Anna. Hi. Um, hey, here's, yes, we'll, we'll get you whatever we can. And I'm not using this chair, so you can, where would you like to sit? Wherever I won't be in anybody's way. <laughs> 
You won't be in anybody's way. Okay. We'll make sure of that. I'm Is there a handout? We're out of the handouts. Oh, okay. But I know I know all about, you know, we'll we'll get you to. In fact, I have you can have Oh, you do? Yes. Well, I have a handout here uh, I can get to you later, too. Okay. okay. All of this, when we think about preaching, when we think about giving appeals, some of your appeals will be in the home. Some of your appeals will be personal work. Some of your appeals will be in church on Sabbath or maybe at the Jesus on Prophecy series. And in your personal labor, just you never know. But you can make an appeal just by your smile. One day, a pastor and his wife were invited to go out to eat in the Atlanta, Georgia area and to meet friends at a a very nice restaurant. And so they had to uh, leave the church parking lot where their church is located. And on the other side of their parking lot, uh, they saw an emergency situation. There was a man on the ground and he was in need of an ambulance. So the pastor's wife ran back into the church to call the, the, the ambulance. It must have been some time ago because you don't have to run anywhere these days, right? If you know where your stuff is, you know, you've got it right on you, right? You're, the cell phone. And so she ran back into the church. She dialed the 911 number. She came back, and her husband was kneeling over this man who was suffering from a heart condition, and he was saying to him, Sir, uh, we have called 911, and the ambulance is on the way. And he was a pastor, and the man lying there was saying, Charlie, looking at the pastor, Charlie, please forgive me. And the pastor didn't know who Charlie was. He said, Sir, Uh, My name is Sam. Uh, The ambulance is on the way. And in the man on the ground, he kept saying, Charlie, please forgive me. And uh, so after a while, they realized this man and his wife was there. She She was distraught and she was describing his condition. And they soon realized that if the ambulance didn't get there soon, and even if it did, he was likely not going to survive. And he kept saying, Charlie, please forgive me. And so the pastor, he again kneels down beside him, and he says, I do forgive you. You're forgiven. I forgive you. Those are the last words that dying man ever heard. You're forgiven. I forgive you. And the pastor said to his pastor friend when they got to the place where they were going to eat, he said, did I do the right thing? This man wanted to be forgiven. He wanted Charlie to forgive him. And I'm not Charlie. So what right did I have to forgive a man who, in Charlie's place, But that appeal for forgiveness, have you ever made your appeals to God? That appeal for forgiveness met met with a listening ear. It wasn't Charlie's ear. It was a pastor's name, Sam, who said, 
you're forgiven. We're not going to get into theology whether he did the right thing or not. But that man was making an appeal. His wife later said to Pastor Sam, you see, my husband and our son Charlie were, they went through a time of trouble and they haven't spoke for many, many years. And he's missed his boy and he's been pleading for his forgiveness for a long time. When we give an appeal, it gives someone out there an opportunity to respond and know that they have hope now. I wish that dying man had had that opportunity to take his burden to the Lord. And the pastor did, I think, anything and probably all that he could do in that situation. He shared forgiveness with that dying man. Appeals are wonderful because they can make things right. That's why people cry when they come forward, because it's a sense of relief. That's why I call upon the church members to also check those boxes when I hand out appeal cards or to raise their hands like everybody else. To tell you the honest truth, that's why I do it myself, because this pastor needs to hear the appeals that I myself am preaching. I need Jesus. And there are days when I preach that I feel I need him more than anybody else. When I was putting the material together for these two pages, I was holding back the tears. Even though I'd done four years of research on these very subjects to put into a scholastic book, and even though I'd gone into a magazine that you have in your hand, some of you, either yesterday or today, found another copy, but you know what? It touched my heart to think that God could save a person like me. And that's what that dying man needed. He needed to know that God could save a person like him. How about some guts to this uh, message today then? In following uh, the recipe for a great sermon, and this is uh, in your notes, I believe, from yesterday. I'm sneaking it in for today. We're sort of mixing our recipes today. Have you ever done that? How many ladies have ever mixed your recipes from, okay, you, you know what I'm talking about. You follow this for a great sermon. Explanation, this is the real heart of the sermon. So look on yesterday's notes, I think you'll find it. We're comparing a sermon to that great cookie recipe. Okay, this, I got this off of a, a, a religious journal called Influence Magazine. We want to influence people. Uh, a great sermon is like a cookie recipe. The explanation is the uh, part of the sermon that is like the flower, the flower. It's like the heart of the sermon, what your sermon's about. The application, though, is very important. It's not just facts. People need something they can hold on to and that they can learn from, and that is the application. 
The application part of the sermon is where they learn how to apply what you have taught. It's like the eggs and the butter. Now, we may be vegan, but the illustration holds together because, you know, eggs and butter in a normal recipe, you can put egg replacer in there for the illustration. You can do that if you want. Uh, maybe a flax seed, right? Grind up the flax seed, throw that in there. But you get the idea. The application holds that sermon together, gives it meaning, and illustration. Illustration is like the uh, carob chips and the cane sugar, the sugar and chocolate, it said there. But it is the final ingredient. It's the one pastors and others struggle with the most, but it is, it is the one that contains, it's, it's like the hook, they say here, it makes that cookie recipe you want to come back for more. Uh, it's not only been applied to your life, but now it is something that is appealing, and appeals need to be appealing. Amen? I, I love appeals. I, I, I love that part of Finley's messages uh, the best. Now, we've been talking about prophetic preaching. Prophetic preaching brings a strong persuasive element into the appeal. Uh, Elder Bradford, C.E. Bradford, brought this out. And he was quoting another scholar who said, the future in secular theology, that's what we sometimes called, call humanism. Have you heard of humanism? There's a lot of secular theology out there um, that doesn't have a lot to do with the Bible. But the future in secular theology is reached by a process of the world's becoming. The idea is the world's going to get better. Just be patient. We're going to get better. We're going we're to make it through this. The world is going to become. It's a process of the world's becoming. That's the secular humanistic view. And if you don't have Jesus, that's a, a pretty good view to have. I mean, that's, that's all you can hope for. Somehow, some way, by some kind of a what would you call it? A miracle? There's no miracles without God either, but you, it's a desperate hope that something right will happen at last. The world will finally figure it out. But the future in Christian eschatology, and we believe we're living in the end times, arrives by the coming of God's kingdom. The one is a becoming, the world trying to become, individuals trying to become in their own strength, the other a coming, the coming of Jesus. And without a belief in the coming of God's kingdom, preaching appeals would be, there's a line to fill in, and you're senseless. There's no need to preach any appeals any longer if we don't believe Jesus is coming. I believe Jesus is coming. How many here believe that? Amen. Amen. That's why we're here. The first appeal in Scripture was Genesis 2. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, nor shall, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The first element of this appeal is truth. Directly set forth, the appeal dearly, uh, or clearly, excuse me, clearly set forth the consequences. An appeal will set forth the consequences. You can eat freely from every tree of the garden. That's wonderful news. Every tree? Yes, every tree. But if you eat of this one, 
you will surely die. That's the consequences. Appeals set forth the good and the bad. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That's an appeal. Now we go to the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And before there is a killing in that story, the Lord makes an appeal to Cain. He says, why is your countenance fallen? And if you do good, isn't that good? And if you do bad, there's consequences, good and bad. And unfortunately, Cain chose another way. Appeals give people a point of decision. And we know the rest of the sad story of Cain's life. But appeals will bring people to decision. It's our responsibility as preachers of the word of God to bring people to that kind of decision, to give them that opportunity. It's an opportunity that they can take between God and them. It's about their relationship with God. And it's a very important one. And we don't want to, we don't want to neglect that. Genesis 19 is a direct and anxious appeal from two angels who had appeared with the Lord when they came to Abraham's tents in chapter 18. This chapter links the role of Abraham's prayers and appeals to God with the role of the angels who were sent to appeal to Lot. It is clear that effective appeals are associated with much prayer. We need to take time to write these appeals out and we need to take time to pray about it because it takes some nerve to give an appeal. And this is another secret. Tell me what you think. Abraham said, wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? He was giving an appeal to God. Peradventure there be 50, then 45, 40, 30, 20, and 10. Six different appeals to God in those 10 verses of Genesis 18. So shouldn't we be praying earnestly? Amen. Shouldn't we be uh, dreaming big dreams and, and being in connection with God and on our knees and asking God for souls? Was Abraham asking for souls? Yes, he was. That city, the cities were destroyed, but by the grace of God, even though there were not ten, there were three that were saved out of the destruction. Just three, but three were saved. And Abraham's prayers sent these angels on to Lot, and he was saved, and his daughters were saved, at least out of the destruction. Of the three, of course, his wife was there too. Initially, there were four, then three. And we know, unfortunately, the history of the Moabites and the Ammonites that issued from that story as well. But First Peter, I believe it is, talks about righteous Lot. Did you know that? Peter talks about righteous Lot. And there's not a lot to say about Lot in the book of Genesis that's very flattering 
but we're going to meet him in the kingdom of heaven. Thanks to the prayers of Abraham. Judah presented his appeals, one of the longest appeals in the Bible. Judah goes before Joseph, his younger brother, and he says, if you're, if you're going to take Benjamin, take me instead. My life for his. Who does that remind you of? Jesus. And what effect did Judah's appeal have on the prime minister of Egypt? He wept. Yeah, he wept. It touched Joseph's heart. He knew these brothers of mine, these scoundrels that sold me into slavery 22 years ago, no letters, no emails, no nothing since, no caring about me. I'm not so sure that Joseph was thinking that way, but if, you know, we might in similar circumstances. But Joseph's heart, Joseph had a soft heart, and he was, he was touched by Judah's appeal. Appeals show emotion, and it reminds me of Jesus and how he decided to give his life for you and me. Come is a big word in evangelistic appeals. I would like to encourage you, for the sake of just being inspired, to listen to the appeals of Billy Graham. You can find it, of course, on YouTube. You can find them on billygram.org. There's a section there on classic, the archives, the classic Billy Graham TV programs from a number of years ago. And the thrilling part about that was the appeal. Now, they're very, very similar every time you hear Billy give an appeal. But every single time it came from his heart, you knew that man was in earnest. But he knew what worked. I'm saying, make your appeals similar enough. And if you've heard Elder Finley, they're very similar, but the story will be different. But he uses the same kind of identical approach and you can get very good at giving an appeal just by knowing, by writing a new story and following the same kind of procedure, whether you're asking a person to raise their hand, stand, bow their head in silence, or if you're asking them to come forward. I believe there's a number of you that are going to do this. I believe that's why you're here. And, and so you can become proficient and you can listen to those appeals. You can, you can skip through the sermon if you want to. It's usually about 25 minutes in length. And by the way, that was impressive to me. I know he wasn't an Adventist preacher, and I know we have more materials, and we have more uh, flour, if you please, and more of the, the butter and, and things like that in our sermons. We ought to. We're Seventh-day Adventists. We have distinctive Bible truths. But nonetheless, he knew how to craft a sermon and give it in 25 to 30 minutes. And that's amazing to me. And he made time for the appeal. And so, so listen uh, to, to those appeals. Listen to Mark Finley. Put, bring him up on, on YouTube. Uh, get hold of Elder Finley's materials. Uh, listen to him. Here, take note. Uh, record him with your iPhone. And, you know, and go back to that. You also can give appeals like that. In, in Billy, what got me going on, on that, and that was a plan, was Isaiah has the words come. God uses the word come. 
and let us reason together, says the Lord. And if your sins are scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Or as they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So he always makes it as appealing as he can. He has this word picture. And he says, come, come unto me, Jesus said, all who labor and are heavy laden. The appeal in preaching is commonly seen as the conclusion. But for Isaiah the prophet, he weaved his appeal into the message from the start. And that's a wonderful secret too. You can get up and say, you can actually tell people and it'll get them thinking. Uh, at the conclusion of my sermon today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to have an appeal. We're going to give you the opportunity to come forward or we're going to fill out a card. We're going to raise your ha our hand. We're going to sing a song. We're going to, you know, you can tell them. You can, you can let them be thinking about that during the whole course of your sermon, if you choose. I sometimes do that. I don't always. I vary how I give my appeals. God's intense emotion is seen in the book of Jeremiah. God hurts when he remembers Israel's love and their youth for him. God brings out, when you were young, we were in love. I remember those days. I long for those days. God says to Israel, I miss your love. I miss you. He's a lonely God. And appeals are emotional because God is emotional. So don't worry about, you know, sometimes people think that it is an appeal manipulation. No, it is not. You didn't go up the aisle to get married out of manipulation, I would hope. You went up, to, up that aisle because at that time, whatever happened to your marriage, but on that marriage day, it was, it was, I hope and pray, one of the happiest days of your life. And God is emotional about us because he loves us. Preaching for decision requires decided preaching. There must be a lofty and mighty purpose in the preacher's own mind, a purpose that actuates him the preacher is on a mission of salvation. He is after souls, after conviction, after decision. It is in such preaching as this that God makes his ministers a flaming fire. A famous Adventist evangelist from a couple, three generations ago, uh, Carlisle Haynes. I'll give you another secret. I said yesterday that appeals in evangelistic, public evangelistic series have a special power because you, you give people a number of opportunities to make decisions. I do not believe that every sermon should call people forward to the front, obviously. And I like to, uh, I wait for a number of meetings before I ever do that because I don't know the people, they don't know me, and I want them to have a, a level of confidence and uh, feeling good about being there before I go to that. But appeals can be very appealing. Elder Finley, we know him. He knows us, so to speak. He can do that, you know, with a crowd of this size a little sooner. But Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he was going to die. And as you read this, I want you, this is not in your notes. I want you to consider this biblical uh, truth. I've come to believe there's a real truth here. And Joash the king came to him, and he wept over him. 
I'm going to take time to read these verses. 2 Kings chapter 13, correct? I preach this quite often. Okay, 14 through 19 in your Bible. And so this is the way it goes. In verse 15, Elisha said to the king, to Joash, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king, verse 16, put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. Then Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. He said, open the window toward the east. He opened it. And then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Aram, for you will defeat the Arameans at Aphak until you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And he struck it. How many times? Three times. Now, this is what is somewhat of a surprise. So the man of God, we're in verse 19, was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground how many times? Five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until they were destroyed. But now you shall strike Aram only three times. What does that mean? Don't give up giving appeals. When you invite people, keep on inviting them. When you give decisions, or when a pastor or an elder or you guys are preaching on Sabbath, don't forget, don't forget to give that appeal. Keep on giving it. And it's with consistency that you will have success. As C.D. Brooks said, what if no one, because he was asked, I'm sure, what if no one responds? Well, maybe everybody's saved. But the people that are saved, they're going to start bringing other people that are not, that are not saved. Amen? And they're going to start catching a vision. This church is about growth. And people that come here are going to have an opportunity to accept Jesus. They're going to have an opportunity to accept Bible truth. We have found out through personal observation that if a person is invited to an evangelistic series five or six times, the, the chances of them actually coming just increase exponentially. And if a person is willing to keep on giving appeals, that will increase as well. And this is from Prophets and Kings on that very story and Ellen White said, the lesson is for all in positions of trust. When God opens the way for an accomplishment of a certain work and gives assurance of success, like he did to the king there through Elisha the prophet, the chosen instrumentality must do all in his power to bring about the promised result. In proportion to the enthusiasm and perseverance with which the work is carried forward will be what? The success given. Such workers will find no task too arduous, no prospect too hopeless. They will labor on undaunted until apparent defeat is turned into victory. In the same page as well, he calls for men, and we'll say women as well, amen, of devotion to his work, men of moral courage with ardent love for souls and with a zeal that never flags. I love that. 
So another example of consistency. The Lord said to Naaman, go wash in the river how many times? Seven times. Could God have washed away the leprosy after one time? Could he just, could Elisha just, like Naaman expected would happen, wave his hand over him and he would be healed of leprosy? Sure. But you know, sometimes God allows us to go through the depths so that we become dependent upon him. David carried five stones. He was going to give some appeals of another sort. <laughs> he, he was ready for what he want, for what God would have him do. And when you give appeals, it's like knocking out the enemy. It sends, I think it sends Satan into some kind of a fright, is what I think happens. Jonah. He preached a message of repentance. Jesus said of him, the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for they, what did the Ninevites do? They repented of their sins at the preaching of appeals by Jonah the prophet, right? Now, someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. So if someone doesn't repent, and you give an appeal, remember the best preacher of all time, Jesus Christ gave many appeals, and sometimes, too often, his heart was broke because no one responded. He said someone greater than Jonah is here. Ninevite, the Ninevites, 120,000, greatest evangelistic effort on record by number for sure. They responded, they repented, that city was saved at least for a time. But Jesus said, I'm here. And that city will rise up to condemn you because they repented, but you refuse. But we have to keep on giving the appeals. If one word would describe John the Baptist, it would be repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It would also describe Jesus. Jesus, in his appeals, he said, follow me. Isn't that an appeal? He said, repent and believe the gospel. He used the word come, and he included all. Our appeals are for everybody. They're across the board. You might think on a Sabbath morning or at an evangelistic service, everybody here is saved. How do you know? Maybe you're the one that needs to be saved. You know, I, I've made recommitments many, many times. I know of a famous evangelist. He said, the Lord, in order to save me, made me an evangelist. He knew he couldn't save me any other way, so he made me a preacher. And I thought, what, really? You? There's a lot of truth to that. And whatever you do, the greatest appeal of all time is the appeal of the cross. The cross still touches hearts. The cross meets people where they're at. A number of years ago, a dear friend of ours, uh, the son of our conference evangelist here in Michigan, you may, be, you may remember the story, it occurred 21 years ago in May. His son Daniel was electrocuted, and Steve and Connie were left heartbroken. And at 
that young man's funeral, our daughter Melanie was asked to sing a song, Take Me to the Cross. The story of a little girl lost, or a young boy, lost in London. And his daddy or her daddy had told them that if you're ever lost, our home is right. If you go by the way of the cross on the top of that steeple and said, just say to whoever you find, take me to the cross and I can find my way home. Just take me to the cross and I'll find my way home. I know my way from the cross. Maybe you sense in your heart just now that you need to find your way back to the cross. Maybe you're sensing and you desire to be able to share with someone about the love of Jesus in a new and a living way. And you, and you believe that that's through the cross and experience with Christ through the cross. Maybe you yourself today would like to give your heart to Jesus anew, a rededication. Maybe for the first time, I don't know. But you like, you love Jesus and you would say, just Lord, just now, please take me to the cross. So that's the prayer of your heart. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father in heaven, you've appealed to our hearts today through Bible examples of powerful appeals, the prophets and John the Baptist and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we could go on, we could say the Apostle Paul and the Apostle James. There's so many different examples of all throughout the Bible. You've been appealing to our hearts and today. We think of that little girl or boy that was lost in downtown London. And when they were found, they, they said, please, just take me to the cross. It's high upon the steeple, the cross where Jesus died for all the people. And we want to respond to that as our heads are bowed in prayer. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us servants of yours that would bring people and tell people about the cross and the wonderful love of our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.